Are you looking to hear the insider stories in government business? That intel that will help you win and help you keep winning. Then you're in the right place. We've got the insider stories, aka the tea. This is Afternoon Tea, and I'm your host, Teresa Holder. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Lisa Tompkins-Brown, Vice President of Strategy and Growth for Tenacity Solutions. If you missed the first part of our conversation last week, you better go back and check it out. With Tenacity Solutions being an SDVOSB, which is a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business for those listening, how has the collaboration or partnership been with government and or large businesses and what areas do you see that can be improved upon and better collaboration? You know, how, how has that kind of change been, right? So from going where you were previously at MITRE and then to now being at a small business and partnering back and forth. Sure. So I, I would say that when starting out as a small business, and we're a very small business. So when starting out. As but not for small- long, right? Definitely not for long. We were looking to double our staff in the next couple of months and by the end of the fiscal year, probably triple it. So things are moving in the right direction for us. Yeah, we're very excited about the opportunities to serve our country in this way. So um, I would say when starting out, especially as a small business, you know, the government almost forces you to be a subcontractor first. It's very difficult to be a prime first. And so to be a subcontractor, that means it's critical for a small business to connect with, develop trusted partnerships with a group of large businesses and a group of small businesses. And I would say the trusted partnership would be those close-knit companies that you're going to share um, um, innovations with, ideas with. You're going to share, you know, your proprietary information to some extent. So that might be a very small group. It might be one company. It might be three or four. But those are your really your trusted partnerships. Additionally, a small business must develop relationships with a larger group of small and large businesses. Also, it'll have a relationship with them and maybe a subcontracting opportunity or the large business would be the subcontractor. But you want to make sure that you have really both pools of partnerships. Now, we've developed a partnership maturity model to do an assessment on our partners because our CEO is um, very well known, especially around uh, Defense Health Agency and and veteran uh, life cycle and, and environment and the ecosystem. And so... Everyone wants to partner, it seems like, with us, which is great. But we still have to be careful. We can't partner with everyone. So we want to be really smart about who we're partnering with. What do we bring to the table? What gaps do we have? And so collaboration is important. Partnerships important, especially among other businesses. Also among academia. Right now, the federal government is really um, fostering and promoting relationships with universities, especially HBCUs. So it's really important to think about when you think about those partners and collaboration and how to strengthen and complement your organization. Think about who has knowledge that you don't have. You know, who has those capabilities and skills that maybe they aren't your strongest or maybe you are strong in that area. However, you don't have the manpower or enough people um, and you need help with the partnerships. Now, in terms of government, it's also very important when government has a lot of opportunities, especially for small businesses for engagement. For example, with Health and Human Services, 
You have opportunity talks. So I tried to attend all of those opportunity talks. There's also some great virtual happy hours where we have a lot of fun. There was one most recently where we had a theme of the Kentucky Derby and everyone had their mint juleps at their computer. It was virtual. So we were all home, but it was a still, it was still a great way to engage with other companies, but also directly with the government. I would also say that there's conferences. A lot of the conferences are free. There's no charge. And especially the fact that many conferences are still virtual. So even if you work or live in different parts of the country and a conference, let's say, is in Baltimore, Maryland, you can still actively participate without putting an extra cost on your company, which is really important when you're a small business and trying to grow to become a big business. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So, it sounds like you guys have done an extensive amount of research. I'm really impressed by the fact that you have that partner maturity model in your small business. I think that's phenomenal. You don't see that a lot of times in a small business. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> do you have any positive stories of acquisition process work acquisition processes working really well that you would say, Hey, this is a really great story or even a funny story. Like, Hey, we didn't expect it to go this way and this is how it went, but it worked out really well. Or, hey, we helped save tons of money and or create a better solution through an acquisition process. Sure. So I guess I have a few. One is actually the story of a colleague, I would say a trusted partnership company of a friend of ours that they own a company that's been very successful. And what they have been trying to do is... Um, as, as we would put it, swing at anything. And so that means, you know, taking those even unicorn opportunities and, and proposing against those and really trying to get their name out there and get new opportunities. And there was one in which was very large, worth $250 million. And they really thought they didn't have a shot, but they put everything into it and they won. And they were so excited. And to this day, they tell that story. And actually, I met with a former colleague just yesterday, and it was the same kind of thing. Um, he has a company of just seven people. But they took a chance, and they did on a very large-scale IDIQ, and they are now one of the award winners of that IDIQ. So I would say in some ways you want to think about don't – you want to make a very conscious effort in evaluating your opportunity or they call it the P-win of whether you should bid or propose on something. But I would say sometimes it does make sense to stretch, have those stretch goals and to really think about, wait a minute, if we've done this kind of work in this industry, are these skills that can be transferred to another industry? You know, or if we've done this amount of right of project management work, why can't we do it at a larger scale, for example? But also, I would say the one thing that for me specifically, I, I mentioned about, you know, that summer where um, I was going to have a break in a project and I went to support source selection. That was actually one of the greatest um, experiences I had. And I will share with you, it happened to be with the Food and Drug Administration. And the reason it was so great is because, one, I was very new at the this opportunity, but I really dug in. I really loved it. But what was so great about it, the government was right there with us, the source selection panel. So I mentioned we were over 4th of July weekend. Well, guess what? They were right there too. They didn't just say, oh, you all are a contractor. You know, just do the work and we'll see you on Monday after the holiday. No, they were with us. We all ordered dinner together. We ate there at the office. You know, we stayed there late at night and we went through the process and it ended with no protest. 
you know, we really put together a due diligence, um, you know, a very, very comprehensive uh, panel report. And we worked closely together. We allowed each other to give differing opinions, which is so important. That's why diverse teams are important. So you can have differing opinions, but we helped guide them through the process. And they were able to award a very large scale IDIQ with absolutely no protest. And in the end, they wrote the nicest note. And we actually kept in touch for many years. Um, so that was actually probably my favorite. It was also the first, ironically, um, source selection panel that I provided support for. I think for everyone listening, well, if you're on the industry side, you'll be super excited to hear that the government worked over the holiday weekend <laughs> after receiving the responses because <laughs> the number of times on the industry side where you get a proposal and it's like <laughs> Thursday on, on Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, yes. wow, what a great surprise. <laughs> right. And you know what's funny? Yeah, we really have tried in the past when I've you know, been on that kind of advisory side, you know, we really frown on the government posting an RFP on December 23rd or 24th, even December 20th. Um, we really would appreciate um, if the government could be a little bit more thoughtful in, in posting something certainly right after a major holiday. And I know that's not always possible, but it'll also benefit the government because we want our businesses, small, medium and large businesses to be bringing forth the best effort, the best opportunity to find out what those cost savings could be so that the taxpayer gets a break. Absolutely. And, right. We yeah. need those breaks. Right. We're spending quite a bit of money these days on many in many different areas. And so when you have those employees that have to work the, the nights and weekends readily because that RFP drops right before a holiday, it really can be super stressful. And it also can cause a lower productivity. And that's not what the companies want for their people. That's certainly not what team members want. And I would imagine that's not what the government wants either. Yeah, I, I remember for myself one time thinking about that aspect of, I got this, I can't believe I got this on a holiday weekend. And then I started to think about that person. Do you really think that they like held it in their pocket and were like, oh, let me get them now? It was a maturity conversation with myself of, hey, this person's working just as hard as me. I have to make the best of this. Let's just move forward. Like, I'm sure it wasn't their ideal as well. So, okay. yeah, and you you know, it's funny also about that is um, I think it's also funny when let's say, you're, you know, you're given it's a large, let's say it's a large RFP, a large solicitation. And so your proposal is 100 or 150 or more pages. And they give you ample time, let's say, for that. Um, but then, you know, three or four months later, you're still waiting to get a response. <laughs> and you're wondering, okay, am I going to hear anything? Then they send you 20 questions and you get five days to turn those around. That can be a little frustrating also. So I hope for our government colleagues that are out there, please know that in industry, we really want to give you the best possible solutions and services. And we would greatly appreciate it, a fair and equitable time to give you a good response. And I thank you for taking that into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> good plug, Lisa. Nicely done. So um, workforce challenges are at the helm of industry news right now. We've seen a lot of creativity with work location, comp packages. And as a small business, are you guys seeing this at Tenacity? And how are you guys adjusting? Yeah, so it's interesting because ironically, people have choices, right? We're, we're not 
living in the time where people stay at a company for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years anymore. Um, a lot of times by the time someone is 30 years old, they're on their third or fourth opportunity um, because they can. And so if you think about it, even for those of us who have been at companies for a very long time, you know, you don't have to stay in a job that's minimally satisfactory or let's say you have a long commute or you have no opportunity for promotion. And so all employers really must find ways to identify, uh, attract, recruit, and retain quality professionals. So we have been fortunate at Tenacity thus far um, to readily find resources we need, either through our direct hiring approaches, through our contracting approaches like 1099s, or through our staffing agency partners, which have been very, very helpful. Um, it also helps that while Tenacity has been busy, you know, and in business over the last two years, we do leverage Ken Coleman's proximity principle. And so we have a huge network and a network of networks. And I often phone a friend to say, hi, do you put, have an expert or someone you can connect me with who is a specialist in health equity and addiction medicine? And that was a true question. And before you know it, I literally had four top dots uh, at my door talking about partnering. And so having that network of networks has made us successful in finding the right people. But even once you find the right people, you have to keep them. So you have to have a good compensation package and offer flexibility, especially in scheduling and location. Um, right now, most of our opportunities, you can live anywhere. Certainly we will have some uh, positions, um, especially for some of our, you know, secret or top secret work where the work location is on site, perhaps at a military base or, you know, on site in the government office. And so, uh, some things we have to be as flexible as we can, but at the t- same time, we want to make sure we're delivering good quality to the government. But overall, we try to offer flexibility. Um, we also have secured a new office headquarters, which for many people, I know you're thinking, wait a minute, people are going into the office. Well, for those that want to be in an office, we have secured um, space in North Bethesda, Maryland, that will appeal to multi-generational, <clears throat> excuse me, to multi-generational experts and employees. And so what we mean by that, it's kind of hip, it's cool, it has quiet spaces, it has collaboration spaces, it has big TVs, it'll have a lot of windows, it'll have walking spaces, indoor and outdoors, and a gym. So we want to make sure that any type of office space that we're in, it really provides um, a great working environment for those days when individuals do have to come into the office, but we also have the flexibility for those that want to work remotely. Also, I think it's important, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion have been kind of a hot topic lately, but it's something certainly that we live by. We want everyone's voice to be considered, even in decision-making at the corporate level. Uh, We also want to provide stretch opportunities that allow for continued growth and development for the individual, for their team, and for the company. So it's really important to understand that our employees, our talent, our stars, um, are what makes the company great. That's awesome. Tenacity sounds super fun. I can't wait to check out the Bethesda office. Yeah, yeah, come on over. <laughs> so Lisa, you've accomplished so much and you've received so many well-deserved accolades. What are your proudest accomplishments and moments? So for me, it's really the ability to help others and give back. So I grew up in a family where we, we call it the green pea. So if you think about a little green, tiny little green pea, 
you can cut it in half and feed someone else. And that's the family I grew up in. And that's really how we, we live today. Um, if someone I worked with 10 years ago called me and needed a reference or a referral, I'm happy to give it. Um, I really admire the human race and people and what we can do collectively to make the world better. And so I love to write recommendation letters. I love to write promotion letters. Um, I love for people to call me and say, Hey, I need help in this area and I want to help them. And so honestly, I'm most proud of the number of people that I have been able to help get promoted over the years the number of people who have applied for scholarships and grants and have applied for awards and for entry into programs and the number that have successfully been accepted, admitted or awarded. And I would say over my entire career, I probably have about a 92 percent success rate for promotions, meaning that if I've endorsed someone for promotion, they've been promoted. And that is actually my greatest accomplishment. Lisa, that speaks so well to the character of who you are. Your favorite part is who you've helped and how many people you've been able to help. <laughs> really, that is truly who you are, Lisa. <clears throat> so give us a little bit more insight into Lisa outside of the federal space. What piece of information outside of government and industry do you think people would be surprised to learn about you or people, things are, you know, is it, if it's a work experience, a hobby, Something outside of what we all already know about you, which, of course, the last one, character and who you helping people and giving to others. Something sure. fun or crazy, if you want. Fun or crazy. So one thing that's kind of fun, unique, but it also is giving back. I have a few kind of ideas here, but one is I was able to accompany some doctors from George Washington University Hospital to Guatemala on a medical mission, and I got to help um in surgery. And so I helped with the removal of or and repair of hernias. Um, and that was so awesome. <laughs> that was probably my a great experience and opportunity um, to give back to the beautiful people of Guatemala. Um, many of them certainly um, were socioeconomically disadvantaged. They lived in farming communities or very high up in the mountains. And that was just the greatest opportunity to be able to support and provide help during surgery. That was great, um, especially because I'm not a clinician. So that was awesome. Um, but also, I guess some other kind of maybe fun facts about me. I actually come from a family. There's 19, if I counted correctly, there are 19 doctors in my family. We count both sides. Um, that includes some that have passed away, such as my father and uh, one wow. of my father's brothers. But yeah, 19 doctors in our family. Um, I guess also some people know this, but others might find it interesting. I, I do live and work and breathe kind of in this environment. So I did get married at the Hems Conference uh, years ago, which is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That was fun. I remember my company at the time, they saw me, you know, the co- conference was going to start the next day. And, but they saw me the day before we were doing a walkthrough of our space. And I remember my vice president at the time, he looked at me and he said, Wow, you have wedding hair. He said, I thought I saw someone that looked like Lisa Tompkins getting married, but I knew you weren't getting married. So I didn't think it was you, but it was you. <laughs> and so that was, that was fun. Um, yeah, surprise. Um, but that was fun. The only other thing I can think of offhand, um, that's 
kind of outside of this environment is that when I came out of college, for those of you that know the history of Washington, D.C. and the culture and the background of go-go music, well, I used to be a go-go music promoter featuring junkyard band and backyard band. So I would work at my job during the day and then I would go to the go-go's at night, often till three or four in the morning because I was counting money and we were cleaning up. And then I would leave there at four in the morning, get home four thirty, and be back up at work at seven three. Lisa, I knew you looked familiar because of <laughs> course I'm a native and love go-go as well. <laughs> All right. So Lisa, I just want to tell you I have Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I know that the folks listening will have definitely had an opportunity to learn something, take something away, and hopefully improve both that partnership with the government and industry and also get a little bit of insight into places where they thought were black boxes and had no idea. So thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for Afternoon Tea, a federal health IT production. If you have questions, input, or suggestions for upcoming shows, email us at afternoon tea at g2exchange.com. I'm your host, Teresa Holder.